Well, have you ever gone for a walk and got lost? Uh, when I was at uni, I had some friends who got lost on a bushwalk in the Blue Mountains. Not a great place to get lost, uh, pretty scary. And uh, they got lost all day and into the night. It was after dark. Thankfully, though, they eventually stumbled somehow onto a golf course, of all things. And one of the guys had his dad's credit card and they were fine. Uh, but when they were in the belly of the forest, when they were in the, it, stuck in the blue, it was just hard to see where they were going. They, they were lost in the dense trees. and It was hard to know which way they were meant to go and what they were meant to do. Now, sometimes our lives can feel a little like that, can't they? We can feel kind of lost. So much going on in our lives, it's like we're hemmed in by the trees of the forest. We can get lost in the details. With everything that's going on, it can sometimes be hard to see out to the big picture. So we've got our jobs and our kids, our parents, our mortgages, our bills, our worries, our homes, our marriages, our health. There's so much happening in our lives and sometimes you can wonder, what's it all for? How am I meant to live in all of this? Well, this morning, God's word will lift us up like a helicopter giving us the overview, God's going to open our eyes to the stunning reality that he has brought us into, a reality that shapes and determines and swamps everything else in our lives so that in all the different things that are happening, we know what it's all for and what we're meant to be doing in it all. And it's all got to do with priests and covenants. It's a little weird, I know, But hang in there for the ride. It's a ripper. Last week was all about Jesus being our great high priest. The Levitical priests, remember, they've been set aside. They're no longer needed because Jesus is now the only priest we'll ever need. This week, chapters 8 and 9 piggyback off this by showing us that as our new high priest, Jesus has also brought in the new covenant. And that's because priests and covenants are tightly joined together. Priests put covenants into effect. They make covenants work. Now, a covenant is simply a binding agreement that brings two parties together. So like a contract, that's all a covenant is. Well, God has covenants with his people right throughout the Bible. And the priests would put covenants into effect. In the Old Testament, the Levitical priests mediated the old covenant of the law between God and Israel. Now, Jesus is our priest. He also mediates a covenant, and it'll come as no surprise that Jesus' covenant is way better than the old one that the Levitical priest dealt with. So pick it up, chapter 8 and verse 6. 8 verse 6. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. See, as our high priest, Jesus mediates a covenant between us and God to bring us together. And his covenant, it's heaps better than the old covenant. And to flesh this out for us, the first thing the writer does for us is to tell us why a new covenant was needed in the first place. And it was because Israel just wouldn't keep the old one. They wouldn't obey the law of God. Israel was unfaithful to God's covenant. They kept breaking it. And so eventually, through the prophet Jeremiah, God promised that he'd bring in a new covenant. 
Pick it up in verse 7. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, here comes the quote from Jeremiah, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenants I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. A new covenant needed to be made. A new covenant was needed to be brought into place because Israel were persistently unfaithful to the old covenant. It's like you're a school teacher with a child that is consistently rebellious. And so, you know, you write up a contract to try and help the student to know what's expected of them. It's got clear implications of what will happen if their behaviour doesn't improve. You get them to sign it. And you as the teacher, you sign it too. But after months of enforcing this contract, there's no change in the student. Same disruptive behaviour continues. No matter how consistently you enforce the agreement, nothing changes. And it becomes clear that if things are going to change, you need a new agreement, a new contract, a new policy, a new system, a new something. Israel was like that rebellious student, year after year, generation after generation. The people just kept resisting, refusing, rejecting God. They wouldn't keep his covenant. But instead of God just throwing Israel out on their ear, instead of being done with them and forgetting them, he promised them a new covenant where he would instead forget their sins and give them new hearts to obey him. Look at it there from verse 10 and let's see what the new covenant will bring. Verse 10. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they'll all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Remember, a covenant is meant to bring two parties together. Well, the new covenant will bring God and his people together brilliantly. So in verse 10, the the new covenant will bring new hearts for the people. So instead of resisting and refusing God... In the new covenant, God's laws and ways will be written on the hearts of the people. They'll be given brand new desires, willingly obeying God. And in verse 11, all of God's people will know him personally. It won't just be the special people like the priests or the prophets or the kings who know God. Now, it'll be from the least of them to the greatest. All God's people will know him truly and directly. With verse 12... All of their sins permanently forgiven. As it says, I'll forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. This is permanent forgiveness. No more in and out of God's good books. No more uncertainty about where you stand with God. This is permanently brought to God in unbreakable security. This is what the new covenant will bring. It'll bring God and his people together forever. There is so much to be said about this. New hearts to obey God, the direct knowledge of God, the permanent forgiveness from God. But look, for now we'll keep moving because the writer fleshes it all out for us as he explains how Jesus has brought in this 
stunning new covenant. And to show us how Jesus did it, the writer takes us back to the old covenant, reminding us of how things used to be done because the old covenant between God and Israel was an illustration of the new covenant. The old covenant gave hints about what the new covenant would be like. So the old covenant's like looking at, you know, house plans on a bit of paper. The house plans are an illustration of the house, aren't they? They give you an idea of what the house will be like when it's done. Now, when the house is built, obviously that's better, but the plans help you to appreciate the house. Well, that's a little like the old covenant and the new. The old covenant illustrates the new covenant to help us to appreciate, to help us to understand the new covenant. So let's have a look at chapter 9 from verse 1 as the writer takes us back to the old covenant to help us understand how Jesus brought the new covenant in. Chapter 9, verse 1. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. Now a tabernacle is just a dirty great big tent. Uh, In the life of Israel it would later become the temple. And the tabernacle was absolutely pivotal to the old covenant. Because remember, a covenant brings two parties together The tabernacle was physically where God and Israel symbolically came together. Now from verse 2, the writer explains the layout of the tabernacle. I've come up with a diagram to help you to visualise it. Uh, The tabernacle had concentric courtyards or rooms. So there was the outer court and then inside the outer court was the holy place and then inside the holy place was the most holy place. Now, the most holy place was the most significant because that was said to be where God was. His presence was symbolically in the most holy place. But here's the thing. The closer you got to God, the less people were allowed to go. As you move from the outer court to the holy place to the most holy place, you symbolically moved closer and closer to God, but as a result, fewer and fewer people were allowed to go in there. And so in the outer court, everyone could go in there. But in the holy place, only the priests could go in there. That's the Levitical priests. They got closer to God than anyone else in Israel. But even they weren't allowed in the most holy place. Only the high priest could go in there. And even then, only once a year. Pick it up in verse 6. Chapter 9, verse 6. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room, that's the holy place, to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, that's the most holy place, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. So on the one day of the year that the high priest was allowed to go in the most holy place, He never went in without blood. He always first made some animal sacrifices and that's because of sin. Sin is serious. Sin must be punished and the high priest is going to go into the most holy place on behalf of sinful Israel and you don't dare sully God's perfect name by bringing undealt with sin anywhere near him. And so if 
if someone was going to approach God on behalf of the people, then an animal had to be killed to take the place of the people. Either the animal died or the priest died. It drove home the truth that you you cannot approach God easily. And the whole thing was a giant illustration, an elaborate visual aid. The priests and the most holy place and the sacrifices were all an illustration of Jesus and how he enables us to come into the real presence of God. So verse 8. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to cleanse the conscience of the worshipper. See, all this Old Testament, Old Covenant stuff, it's, it's just an illustration. The most holy place in the tabernacle, it wasn't the actual presence of God. The way into God's true presence, verse 8, hadn't yet been disclosed. And the animal sacrifices, they didn't actually forgive sins. Verse 9, they weren't able to cleanse people's consciences because it was all just an illustration to help us to understand the reality of the new covenant when it came. Because Jesus did go into the actual presence of God and his sacrifice did achieve the actual forgiveness of sins. Look at it there from verse 11 where we see that Jesus went into the true tabernacle, the actual presence of God. Verse 11. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. See, Jesus, he didn't go into the Lego version of the tabernacle in Israel. He went into heaven itself the actual presence of God. Now, under the old covenant, the blood of goats and bulls could get the high priest into the most holy place. But when Jesus went into the true most holy place, heaven itself, he entered by his own blood. And he did that so that we could go into the true most holy place with him. There in verse 12. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Jesus went into the true most holy place once for all. He went there for us so that we could go into the true presence of God with him. See, are you getting this? Under the new covenant, it's not just the high priest who gets to go into the symbolic presence of God. We all get to go into the actual presence of God. A little later in chapter 10, the writer will say, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God. See, because of Jesus, we all have the direct Knowledge of God, not God at a distance, but God up close, right up close. 
Through Christ, we enter the actual presence of God in heaven. We know God so well, we can bowl right up to his heavenly throne personally. Us, direct to God Almighty, because Christ has taken us with him into God's actual presence. This is the knowledge of God that Jeremiah spoke of. Now, from the illustration of the Old Covenant, we know that we can only come into God's true presence if sin has been truly dealt with. If we're approaching God truly, directly, not the Lego version, but coming to God in heaven itself, if that's happening, then our sins are going to have to be truly, actually dealt with. And that's exactly what Christ has done. It's how he's brought in the new covenant. Verse 13. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. So, you know, the old covenant sacrifices, they made the people ritually clean, you know, clean on the outside. And if those animal sacrifices could make people clean on the outside then how much more Christ's sacrifice of his blood will make us clean on the inside? Verse 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Christ's blood cleanses even our consciences. When we're teaching the kids to wipe down the basin in the bathroom, we try and teach them to clean every nook and cranny. So, you know, wiping the basin, that's obvious. But what about around the tap? Especially behind the tap. It's amazing how much gunk can build there, isn't it? We're trying to clean the whole basin. Every last corner. Christ's blood cleanses every last corner of our lives. Even our consciences. Even the darkest corners of our minds. Even the most disgusting encrusted sins trying to cling to our souls. Christ's death in our place has washed it all away. His blood removes all our filth. All our sin. He's washed us perfectly and permanently clean. In verse 12, he's achieved an eternal redemption. It's like us being able to give the kids a a cloth and a cleanser that with just one use, the basin is cleansed forever. Somehow, no muck or grime can ever stick to the bench ever again. So it not only removes all current grime, it also repels all future dirt and gunk. Now, how good would that be? I'd pay a bit of money for that. That's Jesus' death for us. No muck or grime, no sin or shame can ever stick to us ever again. Forgiven forever. Just like was promised in Jeremiah. With Christ and how he's brought in the new covenant, we have from God his perfect, permanent forgiveness. He remembers our sins no more. This is the new covenant 
that Jesus has brought in by his death in our place. New hearts to obey God, the direct knowledge of God and the permanent forgiveness from God. And what's it all for? This glorious new covenant that God has brought us into, this this astounding reality that is now ours between us and God, what's it all for? It's so that right now, We'll serve the living God. The new covenant has eternal implications and immediate effect. God's brought us into this new covenant through Christ so that right now we'll serve him. Look at it there at the end of verse 14. Christ died for us to wash us clean, end of verse 14, so that we may serve the living God. Now, when we get to chapter 10 in a couple of weeks, we'll be given some practical ways that we can serve God. But for now, I just want us to sense the occasion that is in front of us, the position that God has given us, the big picture that God has opened our eyes to. By his new covenant, we can now serve the living God. Our lives have now taken on this vast significance We know the living God. We're with him and he's with us. He has brought us to himself in stunning love and mercy through the blood of his own son. And in kindness, he's then given us new hearts, hearts that love him and hate sin. And when we know this God, the living God, how can we help but serve him, love him, obey him, orientate everything in our lives around him that is our privilege now i know there's many other things in our lives crying out for our attention so there's our friends our mortgages our dreams our marriages our kids our jobs our families our worries our health there is so much going on in our lives that we can get lost in the details And sometimes it can feel like we're just bumping from one thing to another in this chaotic life. But brothers and sisters, we are being given the big picture here. And it totally changes how we see everything else in life right now. Chris May is a returned soldier having served two tours in Afghanistan. He was wounded by a roadside bomb, suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder, saw some absolutely horrific things and seeing the ravages of war and the desperation of so many people put things in a very different light when he came back home. Chris has struggled to slot back into a society where the biggest issue of the day seems to be the, well if you watch the news in Sydney or whatever, it's the traffic holding up the morning commute or who won the footy on the weekend. Chris himself put it this way. This is what he said. I was watching the news one day and it was some trivial stuff about the price of fuel. And I said to my dad, I don't get it. Why is everyone so up in arms about the price of fuel when on the other side of the world there are people literally dying and no one gives a hoot? Dad turned around and said, because this is their world. And it just blew my mind. The reality of war has totally changed the way Chris sees things. 
and the reality of God's new covenant should totally change the way we see things. Even the seemingly big things like our families and our friends and our our health, even the big things get put into perspective when you've seen God's new covenant. Because when you're in the new covenant, you know God personally. You're forgiven by God permanently. You've been given a new heart. And all so that you would serve the great living God. And so everything in life, and I mean absolutely everything, is now for his service. Everything. Your marriage, your job, your kids, your health, your sickness, your worries. Everything is an opportunity to serve God the living God, to live this new life his way. So brothers and sisters, let's get out there and do it. We've been brought into this new covenant. Let's leave here this morning determined to walk in the ways of our God. Let's live out our knowledge of him. Chris May didn't come home from war and get sucked into thinking that fuel prices were what's most important. Let's not leave here as the people of the new covenant and get sucked into thinking that anything other than our God is most important. Because through Christ we've been given new hearts. We've been given the direct knowledge of God, the permanent forgiveness from God. And so let's serve him, the living God. He's our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please, by your power and your kindness, please help us to appreciate just what you have done for us in your Son. Help us to so value and treasure all that you have given us in him. So that, Father, with our new heart, we would gladly and wholeheartedly serve you. We thank you for bringing us to yourself, for forgiving us of all our sin forever. Father, it's very humbling, but incredibly moving to know that you are our God and we are your people. And so through Christ, Father, we want to serve you with all that we have. And so we pray for your help. Please help us to honour you in everything. For we ask it in none other than the Lord Jesus Christ and his name. Amen.